Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is Kevin Rapp. Kevin is a creative director with over 15 years of experience working with Fortune 500 companies and startup disruptors. As the chief creative officer of his own consulting company, he focuses on helping tech companies build scalable systems of creative content. He spends the rest of his time being a menace on LinkedIn, reading X-Men comics, and writing bios about himself in the third person. So today, in today's episode, Kevin and I are going to talk about everything creative. You know, what is like this? the biggest misconceptions people have about his profession, how he would recommend someone get started in this profession, as well as why it's important to test creative. And what did he learn about creative development from working in-house at a brand? And a whole lot more. So let's jump right in. Hey, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today on my podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you. It's going to be fun. Stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I feel like we're old friends. We were on the one event once and yeah, I think creators we're, we're basically longtime besties at this point. <laughs> you know what I think it is? Creative people tend to get along with other creative people. Do you find that it's like we all think in the same demented way? <laughs> yeah, our, our brains are all equally broken. So it, it works out really well. Yeah, I have a friend of mine who is he's a photographer and he suffers from depression and I have anxiety and we always and I said to him, listen, it's just the price you pay for being smart and creative. It's just our brains are just not wired correctly. We're we're just so perfect that we need some kind of flaws to bring us down to earth. You know what I mean? Right. We if if we were just brilliant and creative and perfect all the time, I, I just we would be just much. be taking over the world. Right. And we can't have that. Not right now. We have too many things to, to do. Yeah. <laughs> too much to but, do. Yeah. But anyway, today, one of the things I wanted to start, it's a huge question because, you know, in marketing, we tend to throw words around that people assume, you know, like I posted about um, running into somebody at Trader Joe's and the, the checkout guy was like, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a copywriter. And he starts asking me, how's business? And it was weird because no one ever asked me that. Not in a checkout line. <laughs> And so I just said, well, you know, it's it's a little bit rough because AI is kind of, you know, uh, rearing its ugly head and kind of button into some of it. And, and so he looked at me and he was like, yeah, like he didn't even know how that could possibly impact us. So we don't always know, you know, what people don't know. And so right. with that in mind, I was wondering, how do you define creative? Because it's used to, now it's a noun. Like, how do you define like what's a, who's a creative or what's a creative? Yeah, yeah, it's it's evolved from a an adjective to describe the the profession and now it's like now there are individual pieces of creative that you can give out. It's it's a department. It's it's a wide grasping term that means a lot. In in the way I think about creative is how are you using words, image, themes, and overall messages to convey something that is hard to define. Mm -hmm. So taking some of the 
elements of a brand or a person that typically are internal and kind of nebulous concepts, things that define who they are, what they represent, what they mean, and finding ways to give a voice to that, finding ways to make that tangible and real. And that requires copywriting. It requires design. It requires video production. It requires a, a whole host of things. But I think it it's about making things that are intangible, tangible. That makes total sense. So it's like putting all the pieces together so people can understand what it is you're trying to convey without just use, relying on one way, like words or images. or. But um, yeah, it seems like most of the time, because I, I know that I've been you know, I've worked for companies and they're like, okay, you're, you know, you're part of the creative. And first I was like, what? <laughs> like, what does that even mean? But what, how did you get into, like, mainly what you do now is video, correct? I mean, what is it that you focus on and, and how did you get into it? Video is a huge part of what I do, but I, I'm doing a lot of work for branding in general, mostly with tech companies and startups. But I started in video. That was kind of the very first thing that I got into into the field. I started as a motion designer and a video editor and worked my way up through smaller video production companies, all the way working up to some bigger companies where I worked with, you know, Fortune 500 big brands. And then uh, my journey kind of took me over to the startup world where I left video production where I was just focusing on the execution and led a video team at a startup company that was only 100 people in its Series B stage. And then within three years, it exploded and became an 1,800-person public company, which was wow. like just insane mega growth. And through that experience, I just learned a ton about not just the technical execution of the work, which is what you you learn on kind of the agency and studio side. You learn how to technically build the work in the most effective way possible. But in-house, I, especially at a really fast-growing startup, I learned a lot about what is the right work to focus on? What, how do I apply my executional capabilities in a more strategic fashion to help build the business in the right direction? What is it that you like about it? Because it seems like su such an exciting field. Like, were you thrown into it and then liked it? Or did you always want to do something like this? So there, there are a couple of things that I can kind of pick apart about what I like and, and, and what got me on this path. First of all, I've never been the type of creative that gets inspired by a blank page. You know what I mean? I think there are a lot of different types of creativity, but the two kind of main ones that I think about are the people who are like, I just need to create and there's something that's in my brain that I need to get on a piece of paper. Right. And then there's a different kind of creativity, which is... I see a problem and I want to figure out how to solve it. And that's where my brain goes. My brain is more of a MacGyver creative than a Picasso. Um, so not tape instead of paint. <laughs> 100%. 100%. I'm going to try and cobble together something with chicken wire and, and socks to, to try and to, to make something work. And so advertising became a much more natural fit for me than fine art or a more traditional form of artwork because I'm, I'm good at taking pieces of, of something and figuring out how to make them fit. And 
that really led me down a path because the strategy side of the work was something that I found really captivating. Mm -hmm. And when you work on the agency side, you really become more executional in nature. So a lot of my strategy became guesswork. It became me looking at the creative brief that came in and me making what I thought were the best educated guesses Mm -hmm. on what would make that work really good. And using my own personal taste and my own personal opinions to to help shape that work. It seems like more of a left brain, left brain and right brain. Like you think of right brain as creative, left is the technical. So it's kind of a mix. Yeah, I, I joke often that I'm kind of a center brain person because I love using the creative side and the strategy side equally. And when I went in house, I got that opportunity of really flexing that muscle of the strategy side more. I got actual access to data of how the creative was performing. I got to find out the decisions of why they were prioritizing that work in the first place. Instead of just getting a creative brief that said, okay, here's the order, now I have to go fill it. It became, here's the larger problem that we're trying to solve. And I got to use my creative instincts on what I think would solve that problem well, which mm-hmm. is exactly where I wanted to be. That That is what I really love about the work is when a business trusts me and my creative instincts to help define the marketing agenda and help push the brand forward. So those are those are the things that get me really excited about the work and what have gotten me into this stage of really just figuring out how to be more strategic and use creative more strategically. Yeah, and it's it's funny because when you said how some people are inspired by a blank page, I was thinking about, do you ever see those painters that they take a paintbrush and they just fling paint out of canvas and look at it? And all of a sudden it's Mick Jagger singing it. It's like, how do you, get that how do you see that yeah. <laughs> and and that's just not me that's just i i don't have that picture in my head what i have is i see a lot of disparate pieces and i go ooh i see how those can come together yeah. i see how i can I, I see the broken gears and i can see how to put them together in a way that works and yeah. and that's what inspires me is limitations honestly when 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 a brand comes to me with like here is the objective and here's what we're trying to achieve. The limitations and, and the constraints inspire my creativity a lot more than just here's everything that you could possibly do. Go figure out what you want to make and let your vision run loose. It's so interesting you say that because, you know, in my world, everyone, you know, there's a saying that copy dictates design. And I've never been completely comfortable with that. Like, I want to see. Mm-hmm what the potential design is. Like I always ask for, well, can you tell me what you currently are doing? I I need to block it out. And even when I write, when I start putting the words on paper, I use a wireframe. Like I need to see it. So I I thought I was weird that way. So it's good to know that somebody else is weird. So, (laughs) And and I think that comes from my background as a video person, because I'm very much the same way. For me, it's about how the copy and image work together. So it's it's not copy follows design. It's copy and design both follow concept. <laughs> it's we have an idea of what we're trying to communicate here. And these two things have equal weight in how they they convey that message to the audience. Yeah. And so they have to be working in harmony and they have to be working from some kind of overall larger creative vision to actually be effective. And I mentioned earlier that how video and this whole area is just changing so rapidly that how how has it changed in the years since you've started 
<laughs> when I started, I was still laying off broadcast commercials to beta tape and and mailing them off to the stations. So the TV network broadcast TV commercial was kind of the the bread and butter of what advertising was. And, you know, that was before 2007. So that's before the smartphone existed. <laughs> that's before Facebook was a prominent advertising platform. Um, that's, you know, the early days of, of YouTube. So the ways in which video has been used to market to consumers has drastically changed over those 15 years plus. The trends and the ways in which people have consumed video have changed a lot. And that has required brands to shift their focus because brands have to create advertising platforms that follow user behavior, not ignore it. If we were still just making the same type of content like it was 2006, we'd, we'd be in a lot of trouble and we'd have a hard time communicating with, with people. So the way that I've seen things change, one of the largest aspects that I've seen as a change is the fact that the explainer video was really, really king in the in the video world when I was largely a person who was executing the video content purely. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of 90-second explainer videos that were thrown up on YouTube and thrown up on the web because that was the predominant method of communicating your value to a consumer that hadn't heard of you. And now, because our user journey is so much more fragmented because there are so many different new channels that an audience could find you, that approach has shifted because it needs to be more modular in the way it's constructed. Because you might find an ad on TikTok or a YouTube short or a six-second bumper on YouTube, or it might be a ad that you see on your TV while you're watching Hulu, right? Like, there's so many different formats and variables that can impact the way a user experiences your brand for the first time. And so the largest change that I've seen is instead of focusing on one piece of content that's kind of your hero of the campaign that, that brings the audience in, it's now become much more fragmented in how you convey your story in smaller bite-sized chunks at a larger volume to convey your story more holistically. Yeah. And that's it's interesting you say that because I just recently, like the past few weeks, literally, I've been putting up YouTube shorts and just mm -hmm. taking like this interview, and I'm going to break it up into 30 to 60 second increments. I'm getting so much more, so many more views on those YouTube mm -hmm. shorts than I ever did. And I put the entire episode up on YouTube as well. And it's only, it's a half hour, but people, they want to know right away, what are the takeaways? Don't waste my time with like a whole bunch of chit chat. And, you know, but sometimes, because I do that myself. I mean, do you listen to podcasts yourself? Like, do you have- I do. Yeah. I do. But but you're right. I, I mean, I find my behavior is, oh, I would like to see what the meat of this is. I like, those are great introductory pieces of content that acts as a really good teaser to go, oh, that seems like the type of thing I'd be into. Mm -hmm. Or, eh, that's cool, but it's not really for me. Right. And that's really how advertising works in general, right? Like, yeah. 
a, a short 30 second or 15 second spot will give you the first taste of what that brand is or what that piece of entertainment is and gives you an idea of what you're in for and gives you an opportunity to, you know, see more over time because the buying journey or the journey of following a new podcast or following a new piece of entertainment or following a brand isn't a linear journey of, I see one thing and then I go, Oh, I'm going to buy it now. (laughs) Right. Right. It should be that easy. (laughs) It should be that easy, but it's not. It's I'm going to see something in my feed and then I'm going to hear a friend talk about it, or I'm going to see another piece of advertising or I'll see a, you know, little short static image on Google as I'm scrolling through a newsfeed, right? Like there's, all types of ways where brand reinforcement comes in a weird tangled journey that's messy. And so by creating a holistic experience that recognizes that every piece of content could be someone's very first introduction to who you are and what you do, as you create that more modular experience, it creates a better impression of who your brand is and can take that user on that buying journey or that following journey or whatever you're trying to get them to do more effectively. Mm -hmm. One thing I've been doing on the YouTube shorts is they don't allow you to do your own thumbnail yet. I mean, that's something that they say we don't have the ability to do that. And that's what I, I used to take a lot of time with the full episodes to create something on Canva. And so I've just been really focused on the information. Like what is a really good clip from an interview and popping it up and just putting a static image or, or just letting it land where it lands. It doesn't seem to matter if it's a topic that people really like, they're clicking on, they're listening to it. And so, you know, I'm not as concerned about that as I was because it doesn't seem to matter. I mean, and people want that they want the value they want to learn something or find out something. If you make good stuff that people care about, you have a pretty good shot of getting somebody to listen. Yeah, it's all, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about the difference between giving advice and giving actionable strategies like it's two Mm. different things and i made a note of it because i was going to write something on linkedin about it but of course i haven't done anything with it yet but it's but it it stayed with me because i thought it's true i mean you hear a lot of advice but it's just blanket advice it's like well okay that sounds good but now i don't know what to do and so the the actual you know the steps and the how to do something it's it's a fine line though because if you're in a you know you have a business and you're selling a product i mean there's always the, oh, am I giving away too much? And, you know, you talk a lot about that on, on LinkedIn, but you kind of have to risk it, at least put so- enough out there that people are intrigued. Otherwise, yeah. they, they don't know what you can do. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, I think that distinction is the distinction between theory and practice, right? It, it's advice is just like, here's a theory. Here's, here's an overall philosophy of why I think this approach works. And then when you get into getting that tactical step-by-step, not advice, but but practical feedback or suggestions, you, you get into this place of like, oh, this this is coming from actual experience. It it sounds more credible. I see how I can apply this rather than just like, oh, that's a that sounds like a reasonable theory. I can see why that would work. It, it right. becomes like, oh, I get how this applies into my everyday work. And it becomes more meaningful to people right. because it's it seems real. Yeah. It seems like you can do it yourself. Because a lot of things don't translate. It's like 
That's no. great if you're an enterprise company, but you know the same marketing tactics aren't going to work if you're a solo. Not going to work for me. Right. Yeah, you right. you have a hundred years of brand awareness. <laughs> that that same technique is not going to work for me. Right. As a one year startup, right? Like it's there are things that just don't necessarily translate in in a broad theory. If you can you can talk about brand awareness all you want and say like, oh yeah, you should just do these large multi million dollar uh, values driven campaigns that demonstrate who you are. It's like okay, cool. That works for Nike. <laughs> I get why that works for Nike. <laughs> right. um, lots of people will give you advice on like, be more like Apple. It's like, yes, because Apple <laughs> has decades of brand awareness and brand loyalty. Right. Be more like Apple in 1982, right? Like, what were they doing back then? That's what I'd like to take more lessons from. And I'd like to see some of the practical applications of what they were doing back then, because that is much more relevant to where I am right now. Right. It's like you hear those stories about these overnight successes. There is no such thing. I mean, the overnight success is somebody who's been working at it for 10, 15 years, and all of a sudden you hear about them. You know, it's... <laughs> 100%. So when you talk about shaping a brand, so what role does video play in shaping yeah. a brand? That, that's a great question because video is increasingly becoming, if not the most dominant format of communication, one of the most dominant forms of communication. And so when I was in-house at a brand, video was our strongest method of telling our story. We really used it to test and figure out some of our strongest messages. We used it as kind of our, our barometer for mes messages that were working and weren't and really helped us define a lot of the visual brand identity of the brand as well. So we, we had started testing a lot of different formats. We were testing messaging on things like paid search and stuff like that. And we were doing, you know, the standard Google display ads and stuff like that. So there were lots of different things that we were testing and, and the website, of course, you know, we were using every different method of communication that we could to find out what aspects of our brand were resonating with our customers. Mm -hmm. But at video was the largest and most um, impactful metric for us to, to take a look at because we were able to get a lot of scale really quickly. We were able to get video in front of a lot of eyeballs super quickly. And because it's about how visual and message work together, it, it was really telling a larger, more cohesive story. And, and there's more context in video. You can say a lot more in one 15-second video than you can with a static ad. And you can get a lot more value to, to a customer really quickly. Mm -hmm. so, you can also get emotion behind it, too, which you can't in the written word. Easily. That's right. That's right. There's, there's just so much context working together at once. You have visual. You have typography on screen, you have the voiceover, you have all of these different elements working together that create a different experience for a customer than just what a static ad can. Mm -hmm. And so we really got a lot of value in video and, and it was kind of the first step of us figuring out some of the most important messages and some of the most important visuals that really defined the brand mm -hmm. moving forward as a whole. So I, I think video is incredibly, incredibly important for brands today. 
it's funny because I was watching, I'm a big horror fan, like horror movies and sci-fi. <laughs> so I was watching a trailer on YouTube for a new movie coming out about, I think it's called No One Can Save You. And oh, yeah, a, yeah. Did you see it's this alien yeah. invasion? And, you know, if it's aliens and monsters, I'm in. It's got it. Like, Great. I have. I have to check it out. And so, but I, I watched the whole trailer and it was horrifying. Did you see it? The woman's under It's a great, great yeah. trailer. Yeah. And I noticed, like I read some of the comments in, in YouTube and one person said, do you realize that not a word was said in this entire mm -hmm. video? It was all just the camera work and it didn't hit me until then. But yeah, I mean, if you were, if you weren't watching it, you wouldn't have an idea, but that yeah. kind of, uh, imagery really is impactful and you're on the edge of your seat like oh my gosh it's, you know what does alien look like is this what our future is going to be at least that's where my mind goes but you know <laughs> probably is yeah it's it's one of those things where it, it can be really impactful and and you you don't even recognize why or how the there it can immerse you in the experience in ways that i think other formats have a much harder time of doing I I don't typically get that type of reaction when I'm going through a website, right? Like, you know, it, it has a lot of the same ingredients. It has visual, it has text, it has a story. But the way in which we connect with a video just feels different. Mm -hmm. Just a side question, because I've been debating, like I, I work with a lot of website developers and there's this big trend towards having a video on your hero section. So the top part of the homepage. Yeah. Now my copywriting coach said, don't do it unless you're trying to set some kind of an atmosphere, like say it's a dining mm -hmm. or a vacation thing, but it, sometimes it's just people walking around. I find it distracting. And what's your take on that? My take is that it should be integral to the experience of the website, right? That's, uh, you know, I, I've seen a lot of advice of, just put a video on there. Video websites convert better when they have video on it, right? That is, that is the general blanket advice that I have seen. And if you just have a video to have a video, then I don't think it's going to be effective. If you're just putting it in there just because you're like, okay, well, we need to find a way to tell our story in, in video format because it'll convert better, then you're ultimately not going to be successful mm -hmm. because you're not thinking about what is the user experience that someone is going through from this website for the first time? How are you building a connection with them? And how are you communicating your story from that point of view? Mm -hmm. I, I see people using it just as a tactic rather than an integral component to the experience. And that's where I see it fall down. Yeah, because I see it a lot of times on sites where I'm trying to read and I can't even read what it is because the video is distracting and it doesn't really add anything. It's yep. just, it's a video. Hey, we're high tech. We know how to use video. You know, it's not Correct. Always, not always what you want to do. Here, well, if, here's some cool stock video imagery clips that we bought and stitched together and we threw them up here. Like it's, it's not really additive. It's just, it's just adding flash that doesn't necessarily need to be there. It's it's something that that ends up distracting more than it ends up adding value. Right, right, exactly. Well, what can companies do? Like, what are a couple of tips that would help either improve video or just their their approach to doing video? What are things that they they should know, particularly with B two B? 
particularly in those spaces, I think one of the most common problems that I see is trying to cram too much messaging into one video. I think they see video as an expensive investment, which it is. And so they tried to get the most bang for their buck by cramming every piece of messaging that will compel an audience from the jump, right? And they try and make an audience go from, I have never heard of you to now I'm going to buy from you in one 60 to 90 second video. And that's just not representative of the typical buying experience, especially for something like B2B, which has a longer sales cycle. Mm -hmm. So what I always recommend is be tight and concise with your video. Be very, very clear on what your objective is. Are you trying to get brand awareness? Are you trying to get them to consider you? Are you trying to get conversion, right? Those are kind of the three primary cycle parts of the sales uh, and marketing funnel. What are you trying to achieve from this video? And be very tight and focused, both from a form uh, standpoint and from a content standpoint. Because a six-second bumper that just gives your best offer might be a great thing for your conversion cycle. And something that is that longer form explainer video might be a perfect piece or component for your consideration phase of the funnel. So instead of just investing all of your eggs in one basket and making one video that you expect to do everything, invest in more of a systemized and modular set of content so that you can churn out a lot of different individual videos that are each trying to do something different that's part of the overall marketing funnel. Mm -hmm. It'll, it won't be a huge, much more investment. It'll just say, take that original explainer video or that original brand video that we're, you were going to make and break it into more of a system so that you can still reuse a lot of those components, but you do it in a way that you can test messages. You can optimize each piece of content that you're putting out for the channel that you're putting it in. You can optimize it for the part of the funnel that it's in. It just gives you so much more opportunity to create content that's going to be more effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's even like with copy. It's like people try to get like five different messages, messages into one sentence. It's like, you can't do that because people aren't going to do anything. It's the same with video, right? If they see too many different things, they're not going to take any action. Exactly. When they, yeah. when they see seven calls to action, they're just like with decision fatigue and just like, I right. don't know what of this I'm supposed to take away from this. And I don't know what I should be doing. So instead I'll do nothing. <laughs> right. I'll go to your competitor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll go to somebody who I at least know what they want me to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, this has been so much fun. Where can people find you if they want to work with you or find out more about you? Awesome. Thanks, Linda. The primary little corner of the internet that I scream into the void regularly is on LinkedIn. So you can follow me on LinkedIn at Kevin Rapp. And you can also hit up my website if you want to see some of my work. It's kevin-rapp.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And we'll put those links in the show notes. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Always a pleasure, Linda. And that is a wrap of today's episode. I hope you found some actionable advice that you can use to help you improve your copy conversions. And for even more copywriting exclusive tips, 
Be sure to click the link in the show notes to sign up for my weekly newsletter so you don't miss a beat. And as always, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review. It really helps me out. Talk again soon.